They have forgotten God. Fornication and adultery, a sickness that was not visible like smallpox, but no less dangerous and contagious, a sickness of the mind. You see, Ralph was a homosexual. Seventeen and a half years is a long time to be married, to anyone, let alone someone who is sinister, manipulative, and abusive. Of course, there were good times too. Neil didn't just have downs, he had ups, and occasionally would enjoy being silly. But this isn't Neil's story. So during our interview, I chose to ask my mom mostly about the significant moments of struggle and hardships that she went through. And the horrific stories of what Neil put her through over all those years are so numerous that they would take many, many episodes to cover. Sandra and I talked quite a lot over those two days in April. And there are many stories she shared with me that for the sake of being concise, I cannot include. But I have chosen to share the stories I believe to be most representative of her experiences. The Story of Sandra Marie. Episode 5 A Man of God. One day, Neil was still out of work, and he was very, very down, and I tried to cheer him up, and I, I said, maybe you should just concentrate on the blessings you have. You know, God has blessed us so much, and things are going to be okay, and uh, he exploded. He said, I don't even believe in God. If there was God, he wouldn't act this way. He, he would help people when they're down, and he went on and on, and I was getting very... Uh, upset with him for for how he was cursing God and saying if there was a God, he wouldn't have forsaken him and he would have helped him find a job and he just kept getting more angry all the time until I got angry and I told him to shut up and to go off somewhere until he could cool down and that was very brave for me. I I, I did have my moments of anger but that made him more angry. He, he went into our living room and we had had a a wedding gift given to us. It was a really beautiful picture of the Mormon temple, which is where we were married at. And it was over our fireplace in the living room. And he went and grabbed that picture over the fireplace. And he, I saw what he was doing. I said, no, Neil, don't do that. And he smashed it over his knee and broke it in half. And then he kept smashing it until the, the glass tore the picture to pieces. And I was really upset at that. And I I yelled at him and told him to stop it. And then he ran upstairs. And we had two beautiful pictures of Jesus in our home. One was in our bedroom and one was in our family room. And he ran, he headed upstairs and I knew where he was going. And so I tried to tell him to stop it, that, that what he was doing was a sin and he needed to stop that. And I th- think I shouldn't have said that. that. That probably just fueled his anger. But he went into our bedroom and he grabbed this beautiful picture of Jesus and smashed it and and glass went everywhere. He was saying he didn't believe in God anymore and he said, fuck you, fuck you God, come on, strike me with lightning. Do something to me. If you're a real God, you can strike me with lightning right now. And that really upset me. I said, Neil, you're committing a really horrible sin by doing this. You need to stop. 
and that he went downstairs and I was trying to follow him and grab him for that but he just kept ranting and raving and cursing God and he went and broke the other picture of Jesus and I was sobbing and I was so angry at him and after he said fuck you Heavenly Father in heaven he left and got in the car and drove off and I cried for quite a while and then I started picking up the mess and cleaning up the mess and something died in me that day. I really believe that Neil did offend God that day and that the Spirit left our home. It didn't feel the same to me. Oh, he also demanded that we never have another picture of Jesus in our house ever. And we never did, except when my daughter came home with a little tiny picture of Jesus. He never hardly ever went into the girl's room and so it hung there that he didn't know about. But I think he offended God, and, and I'm not sure if the Spirit left Neil then, but I felt, back then, I felt like the Spirit had left Neil. And our home was a happy home when he wasn't around. I tried to make it happy. I did joy school with the kids, uh, where we would take turns with other mothers and teach joyful lessons to the children. It, it was a fun time. But as soon as Neil came home, it wasn't fun. It wasn't happy. Our home was not a happy house. A dark cloud hung over our home, hung over him. I wanted a man of God. That's the whole idea of marrying a man that could take me to the temple. And that's what died in me. I realized I had not, I did not marry a man of God. I admit, I had married a man that was an abuser, a manipulator, um, controlling. And now he's saying he doesn't believe in God. And I really feel like when Neil came home and when he was around, so was Satan. It was something that I didn't want. The reasons I married your father were gone. They were a lie to begin with. In 1985, Neil was so adamant that I lose weight. He, he just hated that I was heavy. And so I, I had tried every diet I could think of and lose a little bit of weight and then gain more. And so I decided to go to the dentist and have my mouth wired shut. And I had my mouth wired shut for six weeks. I lost 37 pounds in those six weeks. I was very happy. I just drank uh, diet shakes, you know, sipped them through my teeth. I, I went clear to that extreme, and I was real happy I had 37 pounds off, but then shortly after I unwired my mouth and started eating normal again, the weight just bobbed back on. And that was a constant threat, constant trouble throughout our married life. He hated that I was overweight, and I tried and tried and tried, and I could never get the weight off. So Neil finally got a job at Morris Charter Company. It was uh, a charter company and they did a couple of charter trips to LA and San Jose and it, it just started out slow. And a few other places, Hawaii 
a few places like that. And they needed an accountant. And so he landed a job. He was very excited. And that started our financial problems were better, so he wasn't quite so angry constantly uh, for a little while. And I remember when he came home one day, early on, like the first two weeks of his job, he came home panicked. He said, I know I'm going to lose my job. I've just discovered that they're losing money hand over fist, and they're doing it this and this and this. And he was pointing out all these things. And I've got to go in and tell them that this is all happening, and I bet you they're going to get mad and fire me. And I said, you know, Neil, it doesn't sound like they're going to fire you. They're probably going to appreciate this to know where they're losing money. But he thought I was just being dumb, and, you know, he's pretty upset about it. But then he went to work, and he had to tell them all. And they were appreciative. They promoted him, and they started paying attention to him. And he was like the fourth or fifth person down in the organization they promoted him to. He was a major boss, so to speak, and he loved his job, and we loved it too. All the years that Morris Air was around, we got free travel anywhere they flew, and it was a, a fun experience as far as that goes. It's a, it was a very good company. But if anything went wrong at all at work, he would come home and pick on me. It was like my fault that somebody said something bad to him or made him angry. And he was getting more angry and more angry all the time. One summer, Morris Air would have summer parties and Christmas parties. And we had a summer party, and it was going to be in one of the executives' backyard. And they had a really nice pool. Well, he told me that he wanted me to come to the party, but he didn't want me to bring my swimming suit because I was too fat and ugly, and all the other women were beautiful. All the husbands had beautiful wives but him. And so I am not, wasn't going to be getting in the pool. And I said, well, if, if I embarrass you that bad, maybe I should just stay home. He says, no, you have to come, but don't get in the pool. So that hurt my feelings, and I was kind of humiliated, but I went, and we had a nice dinner, and then af after dinner... Everybody was, not everybody, not all the women got in the pool, but uh, I was just sitting around and quite depressed, not really talking to very many people. And Neil went and got in his swimming suit and was swimming around with all the pretty secretaries and everything like that and having a great time. And I'm just sitting there being humiliated. And some of the women said, why don't you go get a suit on and come and join us? And I said, no, thank you. I'm not feeling very well today. I, just trying to make up something and the president of the company didn't get in a, in the pool and he saw me sitting there and kind of around the corner from where the pool was he had a pinball machine he said I'm going to go play pinball would you like to play pinball with me and I said oh great that would be wonderful and so he and I went and we played pinball and we played pinball for probably 45 minutes and visited and and I had a really good rapport with him and and that took me out of being so depressed, and I was happy that that happened, that I actually survived this party and wasn't completely miserable. And after we got done playing, I went back, and pretty soon the party was over, but when I got in the car, Neil was furious. He said, one of the women asked me why you were so antisocial. You should have stayed there and watched me, and, and I argued with him a little bit. You want me to watch you flirt with all these other women? What, and, and I can't 
enjoy and get in the water either. And so why do I want to do that? And when the president asks me to come over and play with him, who do you think is furthering your career? You playing around and flirting with the secretaries or me making rapport with the president? And he didn't like that either, but it was true. I, th I think I was helping his career by brown-nosing and getting to know the president, let alone flirting with girls. But that was a, a bad party. Right after you were born, there were some fights. I decided I was going to divorce your father, and I went to the bishop and showed him my bruises and asked him for help, and he gave me a pamphlet that gave me advice on how to be a better wife and mother so my husband wouldn't beat me. And it's like, I thought to myself then, you guys have enough problem with husbands beating wives that you make a pamphlet about it? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my gosh. So. But oh, I was gonna divorce your father because I just had it after you were born. And, and I told him I wanted a divorce. And he said, fine. We'll get a divorce, but I'm going to tell everybody, the courtroom, that you're a lesbian and I'll get the kids. And I said, I'm not an acting lesbian. That was in my youth. I'm not sure that would be true. And he said, oh, no, it will be true. And back then, it was true. I called 25 attorneys in Salt Lake City. And I said, I want to divorce my husband. He's being abusive to me. And um, I had some lesbian affairs so to speak, when I was in my youth, but I've repented of that. I've gone through therapy, totally changed my life. I'm being a faithful wife. Will he get the kids if he tells people that I was a lesbian? And every one of them said, yes, in Utah, you will lose your children. And so I stayed. That's the only reason I stayed married to your father was because I didn't want to lose my kids. of human nature, that despite our intuition and higher selves, we all too often decide to stay in situations that don't serve us, with people who won't let us grow. How would Sandra ever get away from this man? And why, after all the abuse, would she make the decision to have yet another baby with him? Financially, his job with Morris Air, everything was going great. We also started to build our tax clients, so we had a lot of income coming in. And he wanted another baby. And I had to go on fertility pills to be able to have a baby. And come to find out, I, he, he had a low sperm count, and that's why I couldn't get pregnant. But we were always thinking it was me. But anyways, I was on low fertility pill called Clomid, and it's supposed to help you uh, produce eggs up to, f I could do up to four eggs, so there's always the chance that I would have four babies, but 
supposedly not more than four. But anyway, I went on that month after month after month for like two and a half years. And it makes you feel sick. And it makes you feel like you're almost pregnant. So every month you're starting to feel nauseous. And it, it's, it really takes a toll. And you have to go in and be examined every month because it can also make you have fibroid tumors and things like that. And it was uh, interesting. After two and a half years of doing that and not having success, I just said, okay, Neil, I am done. I am so tired of being sick and taking this medicine. I said, I, I just can't do it anymore. And he just exploded and said, no, you've got to. You know, God wants you to do this. And so I answered right back and I said, okay, if God wants me to do this, God better get me pregnant this month because this is the last time I'm taking this medicine. And sure enough, I got pregnant that month and, and I ended up having our wonderful little daughter. They got her out and they said that usually after the, the pregnancy hormones is what makes the tumor grow, they thought, and that they would watch it and it should just shrink by itself. In a couple of months it would be gone. And it did, it shrank and was totally gone. Until almost a year later, it starts growing and growing and growing. And it was like I was pregnant again. And, and um, the doctor said that we needed to take it out. He said, are you gonna want any more children? Because we can take it out vaginally and try to save it all so that you can have more kids. And, and I said, well, let's try to do it that way because I know my husband wants more children, but I don't care if I have any more. I, I have such a hard time having kids and for kids is a lot of kids. That's, that's enough for me. And we, he, said, he said, well, I'll try, but this is a really big tumor. I'm not sure and we might just have to do a hysterectomy. And so the day of the surgery, we were planning on having a hysterectomy and Neil was very the night before, he just ranted and raved at me quietly in our bedroom because my parents had come down to from Idaho to take care of the kids while we had the surgery. And um, he was just telling me how he did not want me to have this hysterectomy. He wanted more children. And, and I, I just told him, I said, Neil, I'm done. I can't keep doing this. Uh, it's just too hard on my body. I'm, I'm 39 years old. <laughs> I'm done. I'm, I'm old enough to not have any more kids. And but anyway, we argued and ranted and raved about it all night long. And and then when I was walking and getting ready to go, it was really, really early in the morning. But my mother got up and I was crying. I said, you know what? Maybe I should just not have this surgery. And she said, No, honey, you're just scared. You're just nervous about the surgery. You you really need to go and have this surgery. And I think Neil just hated her even more because after it was done, he said, you and your mother planned this. You destroyed our family and you did this all against me. And, and we didn't, you know, it, I needed to have that surgery. And so then the doctor, he tried to go in vaginally and he told us after the surgery, he said the, the tumor was just too big. He said it was so strong, he couldn't even cut through it with a scalpel. It 
just was so fibrous and everything. He said, I couldn't cut through it. So we had to do a whole hysterectomy. And so I had a hysterectomy, and even after, when that night, Neil went home and he had a horrible fight with my mother. I was still in the hospital. And he called the doctor and said, can we reverse this this surgery? And I'm sure the doctor thought we were really stupid. Said, no, I've taken out, I've taken out her uterus. I had to do that because of the tumor. You're not going to have any more babies. And uh, that was very, very hard time for him. And then, of course, after the surgery, uh, you're not supposed to have sex for six weeks after so that you can heal properly. Well, the very first day I get home, Neil's, oh, oh, so horny. He wants to have sex. And I said, are you kidding me? This can't be happening. You know, I'm not, I'm supposed to wait six weeks. And so I gave him some hand jobs to make him calm down. But that really wasn't what he was up to. What he really wanted to do was hurt me. And if he wanted to have, if he wanted to have, and he just kept up at it. And so like after two weeks, uh, I let him. And I, even then I thought, you're just doing this because I really think he's getting high off of hurting me because it wasn't good for me and it was painful and he was just trying to hurt me he didn't really care about me he was so angry at me and then after the six weeks and I had healed and I could enjoy having sex he lost interest he didn't want to have sex and that's when I was for sure and within my own mind knowing that he only wanted to have sex when I was hurting me because he was so angry at me. And we didn't have sex for a long time after that. Why did you keep going? Why did you keep having kids with him? When he, and even after, you know, so after the twins and then there's me, do you think that was God? Do you think? No, I think it was my decision to stay with him because I didn't want to lose the kids. And therefore, you've got to make peace with him. You've got to do what he says you, he wants to do. And, you know, I want to have another baby. I want to have another baby. And I think, oh, okay. It's like you just try to keep the peace. And, and if you can keep him happy, it's like you jump and say, how high? You know, how high? I, I jump when he says something. How high do you want me to jump? I can tell you that uh, years after... Uh, the divorce, not really years after, right after the divorce, I went to uh, a domestic abuse clinic in California, and, and they actually handed me out a pamphlet about an inch and a half thick and said, I want you to read through all this. And there was a survey in it that said, how can you tell if you're in an abused relationship? And I answered yes to every dang question. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I never knew that this and this and this was part of it. But the abused person becomes just as sick as the abuser because they're beaten down and beaten down and they're told that it's their fault and that, you know, if you wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have gotten so mad. And, and you lose all your self-esteem. And that's, that's what I did with Neil. I should have told people way, the first time he hit me, should have been the last. And it's interesting, at the time of our divorce, it was the Simpson case on TV. Oh, yeah, the O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson. And I was listening to all that, and one of the reporters or doctors said, 
the first time a man hits a woman, it's his fault. The yeah. next time, it's hers. Uh-huh. She needs to stop it immediately. And I didn't know any of that, but uh-huh. it just happens and happens, and you let him go, and he promises he won't do it again, and he cries, and da-da-da-da. And you feel so compassionate for him in a way because he's fallen apart that he hurt you, but then he does it again. Uh-huh. And early in our relationship, that was more like that. He'd get mad and he'd say he's sorry. But then he stopped saying he was sorry. And he stopped saying he would never do it again. It was like a daily occurrence that the, the last two years of our marriage was like a nightmare. Yeah, you just kind of get caught up in it. And I think a lot of people who don't understand it, who haven't been through an abusive relationship, are just thinking, why? Okay, so hearing your story, they'd be like, okay. What you had the twins with him, and then he starts, he hits you. I mean, even before I was born, he hit you for the first time. Right. So then it's like, you're going to have another kid with him. And then after everything you went through with me, it's like, right. oh, and still, it's like somebody, you want to reach over and shake you and be like, Sandy, stop it. That's right. <laughs> you know? And and I and part of that, I, I it's my own sickness, but part of it, I blame it on the church too, mm-hmm. because it's the temple marriage. You're married to this guy, supposedly for time and all eternity. Um, they're telling you, go home and be a better wife and mother, and your husband won't hit you. And you have these beautiful little children, and I have the. he has the lesbian card. He uses the lesbian card. I'm going to lose my kids. So what do you do? You stay, you stay, you stay, until it got so bad I knew he was going to kill me. But then at the point I thought, okay, when I really decided it was over, I'm going to go get a therapist that isn't LDS. I need some other kind of input because they're not helping me. And the first time I had my appointment, I said, the very first thing I want to ask you, and I don't want to be offensive or anything, but are you LDS? And she got that look on her face like, oh, boy, here goes a client. I'm not LDS, so she's going to walk out, you know, that kind of a look. And she goes, no, I'm not LDS. And I said, oh, good. <laughs> I, need an, I need a therapist that isn't LDS. And she told me in many, many of the sessions I went to with her, that it's better to have a mother that is absent from the home because in a divorce, one of the parents is going to be more, you know, live in the home. They could both have custody but or share custody, but one's going to have a little more than the other. And it doesn't have to be the mother. It's traditional the mother has the kids more. But in my case, that probably wasn't going to work. But it's better that I wasn't there psychologically for my children to not have that daily abuse, the seeing the father abuse the mother, because it's teaching all of them that abuse is okay. It's teaching my sons that they can abuse their wives, and it's teaching my daughters to take it. And so I needed, I was going to stop, I was going to try to stop a cycle. And I also thought to myself, it's better that they have a mother that's alive and that can visit them and see them and love them, but from afar, than to and have her alive and a hus- or their father be in jail for killing her. And what would have happened to the kids if that would have happened? Uh, there's a lot of things to think about. Yeah, and then, you know, with Neil's personality, you know, he was just so possessive over his children and he was such a warrior and such an abuser. There's no way he'd let you have the kids. There's no way. Mm-hmm. In fact, he used the lesbian card, so I couldn't.
Next time on the story of Sandra Marie. The dysfunction and abuse heightens to a state of sheer insanity and violence. Against all odds, completely shattered. From somewhere deep within, Sandra finds the strength to put an end to the marriage. The events that bring her to that, however, are dreadfully difficult to relive. Stay tuned.